Welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the podcast covering every single horror movie franchise. One movie and one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian. Once again, joined by my co-host, Lindsay Travis. Lindsay, how are we doing tonight? I'm good. Um, I remain spooked by Sinister, so yes, I'm ready yes. to get to it. We're ready to dive right in. And I think we're going to jump right in tonight because I know we're all like, have stuff we have to do so no weird preamble for me tonight listeners i'm very sorry i know that's why you come to this show and now i'm making it a weird preamble so let's stop uh preamble preamble so meta thank you so much i almost introduced you as like Lindsay too big for sundance drivers but that would have been too much of no Lindsay low rent for sundance oh boy so our guest tonight is the host of the upcoming podcast not the original a show that explores remakes, reboots, and sequels. Look for it this spring, wherever you get your podcasts from. Let's welcome J.D. Gravett. J.D., how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for joining us, man. You know, you've got the kids all tucked in, like you said, and they're cooperating. So let's see um, if they're planning to, you know, maybe they're speaking with Bagul right now and planning to commit family annihilation. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i know right i gotta worry about the older one uh, and what there videos you he might be watching no i worry about the two-year-old man they don't feel pain two-year-olds don't that's feel true pain they're, they're... little sociopaths my big thing with with little kids is that they're little humans but they're not little people yeah so they don't have they don't have any of that stuff that makes them a person yet so yeah they can he can be a little a little scary was that like gag that is like um babies are like little drunk people oh yeah it's kind of like when you think about like how they like walk feel pain Mm -hmm. you're like you know what yeah okay babies also look like potatoes to me like when i see babies like and there are ugly babies like i don't care i know that's a mean thing to say but you know when i think i've even said once like isn't this baby cute like someone showed me a random picture to know when i was connected to i'm like no i've seen cuter (laughs) And I'm not allowed it. I'll have an anecdote for you off air. Oh, you can't share it on air? (laughs) No, it's too mean to immortalize on a recording. Oh. (laughs) For the patrons. That is going to be for the patrons. I'll tell you. Um, Yeah. Part of the pendulum after dark. All right, here we go. Um, All right. So we are here to talk about 2015's Sinister 2 tonight. Um. Still written by the team of uh, Scott Derrickson and C. Is it C. Robert Cargill? Am I getting that right? Yeah, Robert Cargill. Yep. There yeah. we go. Uh, but this time, the directing reins are handed over to Syrian Foy, who uh, Irish film director that did 2012 Citadel, a really chilling uh, movie. Um, he's uh, since gone on to do, I think it's Eli, uh, a made-for-Netflix movie. 
and he's directed a yeah. couple episodes of um, The Haunting of Bly House as well. So, got a nifty oh, little career in the genre. He yeah, he did a couple. Oh, okay. I didn't know yeah. that. So, he's got a you know, nifty little career here right now. So, yeah. let's take a, a quick look. Um, and you have a note here, Lindsay, what the inspiration for this story was, which I wasn't aware of. Can you fill us in on that? So I actually didn't know that initially either, but apparently this was inspired by Children of the Corn, uh, King's Stephen King's Children of the Corn. And when you hear, I like didn't think of that, but then when you hear it, you're like, oh, it kind of makes sense. The main character uh, or the main kid looks a lot like the Children of the Corn kid. I guess that's not a very mm-hmm. great description. Um, the setting, um, there is like a cornfield moment where you're like, oh no, why? And it's funny because when I was watching it, I was like, what? How did that get there and why? And now you're like, oh, okay, uh-huh. <laughs> I get it. So yeah, apparently a lot of it was uh, inspired by that. And that's, I had I guess, no idea upsetting. about that. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I didn't either, but I think the hand scythe especially is very children of the corny. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> children of the corny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, as soon as you know, you're like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I look to look at is like where this movie fits around when it came out and looking at 2015, like I know it's been fashionable for the past like two to three years to say how much of a boon time we're in for horror from like 2018 or so on. But 2015, there's like an embarrassment of riches when it comes to very strong genre films particularly looking at like independent horror um there's good night mummy which comes out uh it follows comes out after making its debut at fantastic fest at 2014 um we are still here comes out that year um i don't know if you if either of you have seen the devil's candy with ethan yeah. Embry. the devil's candy rocks love that movie <laughs> yeah so yeah. much um it's like Oz- rocks and it's true it's word oh it's um, so good it's, the word. Yeah. it's so good and then Oz Perkins makes his debut, uh, feature directing debut with uh, Black Coat's Daughter, which I haven't caught, but yeah. everyone I know swears by that movie. It says how it's like, really like, strong it is. Okay, so I've got to yeah, add that to the really list good. of things to see. The big one for me is Benson and Moorhead's Spring, their follow-up to Resolution. Um, that they, I don't know if it debuted at Fantastic Fest, but I remember it played that year in 2014 and then comes out in 2015. I remember we screened it in Boston for like a five year anniversary of like independent horror movie nights. We did like every month for five years. And when it ended after the four movies we showed, someone came up and it's like, you're never going to top spring. Like you'll never get a movie better than that. I had already been on the fence about continuing and I'm like, you're right. What a high note to end on. So that was like the last thing we ever screened. You retired on spring. Yeah, which, you know, that's kind of like Ted Williams from the Boston Red Sox hitting a home run in his last at-bat and then <laughs> calling it a day. So um, Blumhouse at this time, um, their big money maker is kind of on its last legs, like Paranormal Activity. The Ghost Dimension is the last in the series. Um, but they have some new stuff in the works, like Insidious is going strong. The Purge, I think, is two or three films deep by this point. Yeah. Um, and it feels like Sinister is being set up to be the third kind of like tentpole franchise behind Insidious and The Purge, but it doesn't quite work out. Oh, and M. Night, uh, M. Night Shyamalan continues his comeback after developing um, Devil, 
which is a bit of a sleeper hit. He directs his first film, I think, since um, what is that? Anna, the last Airbender, which was yeah. kind of hand uh, with his the greatest, not his greatest, but the visit is, I think, up there with his best work. Like the I visit. love the visit. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah I love the visit. I think there are so many good things in that movie, and mm-hmm. that just yeah, it was it was such a great kind of re-debut for him yes. after a couple of not so great ones. That's where horror is in 2015. Um, Sinister 2, our initial thoughts. JD, what drew you to this movie? What made you want to talk about this with us? I mean, I think, you know, the first Sinister movie is so good um, that I think, unfortunately, this one gets not as much love as it should because I think it, in comparison to the first one, it's not that good. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and honestly a lot of movies aren't that good. Um, so mm-hmm. I think for me, um, this one is just one that I, I always really enjoyed. I think deputy so-and-so giving him the lead role was a phenomenal choice. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he just does, he does a great job in this. And I think I really like how they deepen the lore. I think mm-hmm. that's a cool aspect of it. Um, Cause we get so little of it other than the professor who kind of pops in and is like, hey, there's a demon and kids go missing. Um, it's, we really don't get a lot. Um, so I, th- I thought it was really fun that they dove a lot further into it in this one. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree with that. Lindsay, how about yourself? Yeah, I feel very much the same way. I think that Sinister exactly is so good that it's hard to be as good as it. Um, but I do think it did a really good job. Like I... Again, so-and-so was a great choice. I think that by deepening the lore, it does exactly what a sequel has to do, is it has to give us a little bit more. It could have gone the route of giving us the same movie again, but different. Um, and instead it gave us a little bit more than that. So I think it was kind of a, a shot that mm-hmm. worked out. I think it it turned out really well. Uh, it gives us more and it gives us the flip, which I guess we'll probably dig into a bit later, but I think that it also approaches the same story from a different angle, mm-hmm. which I think is really effective. So I don't think it's a really great movie. Uh, do I ever want to watch it again? No, I hate watching these movies because I think they're so scary and I was mm-hmm. not happy to have to watch them <laughs> again to record because <laughs> these are these movies that like I watched. I was like, that was awesome. I never want to see it again. And now I watched them both twice. Mm-hmm. And I actually had this one playing in my living room and staying at my parents house right now because of lockdown and um my mom came in to make dinner when there were like 20 minutes left and I was like making dinner and facing the other way and she was like you're not even watching the movie you have to talk about and I was like yeah I've seen it I don't want to look at it anymore just (laughs) it's fine I know what's happening (laughs) I love that your mom is keeping you on point your mom is like hey um don't you have to actually focus on this and Mm -hmm. I was like no it's fine I'm just gonna face the stove and it's gonna be fine excellent yeah what about you excellent so I, you know what, I and I went back and I found my old review for this as well, because I remember liking this movie, I think, more than most. Um, because when you look at the reviews, like this one does not get the same critical reception that the original Sinister did. It doesn't get the same box office as the original. Um, and I think there's a really obvious reason for that that we'll get into here in a minute. Um, but what I found is like this one had a bit more, I think like the characters it revolves around, I like a little bit more this time. Like Courtney to me is a lot easier character to root for uh, given her predicament. 
And, you know, obviously ex-deputy so-and-so like James Ransone, I think is like really delightful in the main role here. Um, it gives us a lot of like the things that I like about the first movie. I would say like the drawback to it is like a lot of sequels. It is like, oh, do you like this? It's like, I'll have a lot more of it. And it's kind of like when you go for ice cream and you get like the normal size sundae and you're like, this is delicious. I've had just enough. And then you go back the next time and you're like, I will get the jumbo one made for four. And then by like midway through it, you're like, I hate every decision I've made in life. This is actually too much of a good thing. Wow. I'm like a hundred percent eating a sundae right after this. I know, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I just good. had flapjacks. My wife and daughter made like flapjacks. Ooh, and they chocolate were chips? delightful no chocolate chips but golden syrup and mm. they were delightful that sounds um, great I, and i would say so here here's where i think the criticism comes from the appeal of the first movie aside from the fact that it's really scary is that as an audience you are following oswald down the same rabbit hole Mm-hmm. So yeah. you are getting information at the same pace that he's getting information. And as an audience member, you're trying to connect the dots as the mystery of the movie unfolds. You don't have any information that he doesn't have. And being kept in the dark is a legit scary thing. Like not knowing what's going to happen or why it's going to happen is frightening in and of itself. With Sinister 2 you already know why things are going to happen. You know who is behind them. You know why they're behind them. And you kind of have an idea of how it's going to play out. So at that point, you have information that Courtney doesn't have. And you have information that ex-deputy so-and-so doesn't have access to until he actually meets with the um, basically the new researcher. Um, Mm -hmm. so you're waiting for the characters in the movie to catch up with you as an audience and that can be a really hard thing what are your folks thoughts on that yeah I think that's like yes for sure the going down the rabbit hole with Oswald is really good and really scary I do think at this point you know so and so has the information that he delivers to Oswald about the house moving thing And so we're kind of getting a glimpse at he's on this like crusade. Like it looks like he's just like touring around burning houses down. So people Mm -hmm. never move into them to try and like stop the ghoul. So yeah. And the new researcher doesn't do anything for me. They like kind of up the ante by making it that um, Vince D'Onofrio's character is gone. Um, And there's this new guy. And instead of just being on a zoom call, (laughs) He's, uh, or I probably Skype at the time. Mm-hmm. He's uh, actually like a character who like walks around a room and has like a camera in there with him. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I feel like as much as the movie does deliver us a lot of like lore and information, I don't, I still don't feel like that was like consequential. I kind of, I'm like, I'm still here for the scary. And I think the movie's still very much about the kids than it is mm-hmm. about, like this movie to me is much more about the children is where the first one is much more about Oswald and deputy mm-hmm. so-and-so like so-and-so's here and Courtney's here, but like, I don't care about their story at all. Mm-hmm. Personally. I don't know. What do you think, JD? Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely a struggle is that, you know, almost too much for mm-hmm. the movie. Um, you know, and I think 
they kind of try a little bit like they don't give you right away that miles is one of the bugul kids like or milo is one of the bugul kids like it's it's almost like they're kind of trying to hide it and they do that too i think they drop you know dylan it, like clearly this has just been happening like you don't see his initial interaction um it just like you just come right into it um and i think they kind of try and create mystery in other ways that aren't as successful as it was in the first one um true was there ever a moment you didn't think Miles was one of the kids, though? Like, I never thought that he wasn't anything but one of the dead kids. No, I, I mean, watching it, coming in with the, the knowledge of the first movie, like, it's clear. But, like, in this one, the kids, at least initially, are very, like, solid and normal looking. Where, mm-hmm. like, the entire time we see them in Sinister, they have, you know, that, like, flaking away skin, the kind of, like, they look dead. And mm-hmm. I, um, and I think in this one, like if you just came into this movie, you know it. There, you wouldn't know. Like they're not very clear about that, and so mm-hmm. I think it, they're kind of trying to obfuscate it a little bit by making them seem more normal mm-hmm. and not just coming right off the bat. Like, hey, you know, I'm clearly this like dead demon kid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that like I don't feel like it was being hidden from me, but I do feel like you're kind of like, hold on, is that his brother? Mm-hmm. Who is this kid? Okay. And like, I don't feel like it was a secret per se that it was like a twist when it was revealed, but I do yeah. feel like I had a sense of like, who's this kid? Is that, mm-hmm. yeah. is he the name? Oh, he's a cool kid. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like I didn't know right away. And I think to your point of from the last show, Lindsay, you talked about how you much you really like the jump scares in mm-hmm. Sinister. And I will say like the first jump scare in this movie when like the kid that you just and basically you just pan the camera so like one of the dead kids is like sitting in bed with him that freaked me out like all right that one got me like that's actually a really a damn good jump scare right there so that definitely freaked me out and you get and you get more of that this time around you get like the rat that's like underneath the um bowl and then the flashlight jump scare where you see Bagul like in full light for the first time. So yeah, you see Bagul a couple they, times. Yeah. Yeah. That's what do we think of that? Like this movie definitely gives you like it feels like they're trying to make Bagul a thing. Like mm-hmm. he's gonna be your new he looks a little bit like the saw dummy, um, which becomes kind of the um kind of, kind of becomes like the iconic image from like the Saw franchise is like the little Billy the puppet. puppet yeah um best bud. i you know and i say this not joking like he looks like michael jackson to me he yeah <laughs> it's yes. like this it's weird and it feels like it's almost in a movie where you have um it's focused on like children family annihilators and like kids being abducted from their parents and being basically manipulated it was really weird to have this like bad guy that looks a lot like Michael Jackson. Um, and yeah, I don't say that pull. facetiously. That's. Yeah, that's a collar pull. I think. Yeah. I, the thing about Bagul, like we talked about this when we were talking about the first one that a lot of his jump scares are cause he's hidden somewhere pretty subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's kind of blurry in the background and then you see him and it makes you jump. 
I think that was so effective that seeing more Bagul actually didn't really work for me. I think yeah. it kind of deflated how scary he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of just, he's more like, um, you remember the crooked man bit? And I think it's in the conjuring movies. Yeah. The uh, conjuring too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The crooked man. Mm-hmm. He's scary when you don't see him. And then when he shows up, he's still pretty scary, but mm-hmm. like the, the air kind of gets pumped, like right. taken out of it. You're kind of like, oh, okay, it's Bagul. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked seeing him a little bit less, but I also right. like see why in a sequel they had to give us more. But I feel like by giving us more kid, they could have given us less Bagul. Yeah. To yeah, me, I... like, Bagul doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not like Freddy or Jason that like when he pops up, he's gonna like take somebody out. He just kind of stands there like peekaboo. You know, it's kind of yeah. he's like a string puller, so he, mm-hmm. it's more like better when he's hidden, sort of. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he was in this one too much. Like I clocked it, it was just over two minutes in. You see him already. Mm-hmm. Like he that opening scene where he's in the closet. Um and and that's relatively effective because like yes. like Lindsay said, he's just kind of looming in the background. And I think my favorite Bagul moment is when um so and so is at the motel and in his computer in the reflection in the bathroom doorway, Bagul is just kind of there. And like that's mm-hmm. really scary. But then so-and-so bends down and you see Bagul walking toward the screen and he sees him and gets scared. And then his face is right in the screen and you get scared again. And then it's loud and it shows the sim- like it. It's just too much a lot. even right there. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. scattered throughout. He's just, he's there a lot. There's a short movie that came out years ago and I'm trying, I know it has the word spoon in it and it's like death by a thousand spoons or he died by spoons and now I'm really embarrassed. I don't remember it, but basically what it is, is this dude who over the course of like 50 years is just whacked over the head with the little spoon by this like balding little demon. And eventually he dies after getting hit like a gazillion times with the spoon. And that's what Bagul feels like in this movie. Like he just shows up like, you think at some point he's just going to be riding passenger with deputy so-and-so like, I'm going to change your radio now and put on like country and Western that you don't want to listen to or like right wing AM radio, you know, it's, um, you know, just not scary. So to me, those are the things that don't work. But like I said, I like this movie. So let's talk about what does work. Who wants to start? Cause I've been talking a lot. Yeah, Take I mean, it I'll, away. <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I mean, I think the the thing that works the most and the best um, is definitely so and so. I think his performance, you know, from from jump, he's he's that delightfully awkward. He's stumbling over his words. There's instant chemistry between him and Courtney and him and the kids, mm-hmm. um, and it just all feels really natural. Um, and so I just think across the board, he is really just a strength of the movie. Um, and I think it was a really smart choice to use him as like the bridge between your movies when you're, you're building a sequel um, because it's, it's a huge tie back for people who have seen the movie. Um, and it just, I think that's really, really successful. My only critique of him is that he shows up at the farmhouse in broad daylight with canisters of gasoline to burn it down. And it's just mm-hmm. like, I mean, you think someone's there, but it's still broad daylight. And I mean, I guess the thing is, too, we learned he wasn't very good when he burnt down Ellison's 
house either because he mm -hmm. like got brought in for it. Like they, they saw him go in there. He's the last one to leave. He's like, so he's maybe not the best at covering his tracks, but that scene cracked me up because it's like three in the afternoon and he's just walking up to this house with two mm -hmm. sloshing cans of gasoline. <laughs> and then there's a, a kid eating an apple and, and he's, yep. like, huh. he's like, oh shit. Like, uh, uh oh, I've been made. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the yeah. idea is like, he's so far out in the boondocks that like, sure. it doesn't matter. Sure. I also think like his character in a fun way um is supposed to be a bit of an idiot mm -hmm. but then you know he figures stuff out in a way that it's like almost like he's inspired by um oswald in the first one and he kind of like he's very much inspired by the whole book situation because you know a he does a lot of digging and solves the mystery and b we get him with his own pin board that he was really jealous of from the first yeah. movie he makes fun of me like wow you're like the fbi or whatever he mm -hmm. says and then now he's got his own He's yeah. really inspired by that, but he's also still kind of dumb. It's also in a way like a, you know, either a dunk or a faith in law enforcement thing where like he solves something just by looking at it and he's like so good. But then ultimately he's like the police force couldn't handle it. And I left and now I'm a private eye mm -hmm. because I'm a good investigator, um, which is kind of an interesting bit. But I just like, I love the character. Like he's obviously the best character in the first one. And I love that whomever was making this decision was like, oh, we have something good here. Like so-and-so mm -hmm. is good. He's well acted. The fans like him. He He's well-written. Let's give him his own movie. Like I love that they were like, okay. Like they knew what they had, you know? And they didn't like make, let him like, he wasn't like a mean character that they dragged into something else. He was just like a good side character that they let shine. And I mm -hmm. think it was like really well done. And I, I like that they don't name him. Yeah, I you love know, that. They still yeah. were just like, you're just going to be ex-deputy so-and-so. <laughs> and he like you know? meets a bunch of people and they totally dance around it. And it like yep. never comes up, which I love. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not glaringly obvious. Like I, when I rewatch this um, for the show, I'm like, yeah, I think they name him, but I can't mm -hmm. remember what it is. And then I'm like, holy shit. Like, like two thirds of the way through, I'm like, they still haven't, they still named, haven't him. named him. And um, it's like clever because like he meets is there any Courtney mm -hmm, he yeah. meets Courtney and like we can't I'm gonna nitpick the fact that she trusts him way too quickly mm -hmm. and then it's funny that like he doesn't even have to give a name like she she doesn't even think like I'll at least want to know your name before I give up my entire bit mm -hmm. uh, like my entire and just like decide to trust you implicitly she like doesn't even get his he name is really disarming though like he has this like you know, when she's like, what is it going to take? And he's like, a cup of coffee. Like, if you want to absolutely disarm somebody who's, like, really pissed at you, like, you ask for something completely innocuous like that. Like, Okay, but we're talking about a woman who's, you know, the implication, not the implication, they say it, that her husband is beating her kid and potentially mm -hmm. her. She's on the run. She's doing that, like, code word thing with Ruta Vega. And she's hiding from everyone in the grocery stores. And she's afraid of law enforcement because they all are on his side. And she thinks that there's private detectives looking her up. And this guy rolls up with a can of gasoline right after she's been busted at the grocery mm -hmm. store. Because someone just saw her in the grocery store like that day, if not the day before. And she's terrified. And this guy rocks up with gasoline. And I was like, oh, actually, like, I'm a private eye. And she's like, damn it, I knew it. And then he's like, no, I'm ex-law enforcement. And she's like, oh, no, even, even worse. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like, she's like, oh, God, you meet all the qualifications. And he's like, coffee. And she's like, you know what, why don't you come inside and I'll tell you my life story. Mm -hmm. Like, what? 
I think at that point though, you've had so many things like one of it's going to be one of two things. Like you're not yeah. getting away. Like if he is on their side, like you're made at that point. Like there's really no getting away from it. True. Or and because True. things have been so bad for so long that psychologically you're like the world can't kick me in the ass this much. Like there has to, I got to hold out for some piece of good news. And maybe it, yeah. I get what you're saying. We're like, because your fight or flight mode is up for so long. Like at some point you have to release that adrenaline or you're just going to collapse, you know, like on okay, yourself, like fair. a dinosaur. But um, I, I you, see you your point. Psychoanalyzed the, but this one. The truth is probably <laughs> closer to your side, to be quite honest. Like, I totally get that. Like, in a real world situation, right. you're probably like, why don't you go inside and get clean yourself up? And meanwhile, you're grabbing like one of the, the, the good kid and then just like taking off at that point. <laughs> um, I would have been beating his ass with a baseball bat before he came anywhere near me. Whoa. And she's like, you know what? Come on in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the, this is the situation. I am hiding from my husband. Mm -hmm. This house belongs to this person specifically. And that's why I'm here. Like she tells him everything mm -hmm. right away. And he's like, I'm a private eye law enforcement. She's like, great. Right. Let me spill my guts. Yeah. Let me spill my guts. Like, and if you want to see the murder church next door, yes. just let me know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I do like that. He's still like, I'm not going in that place at night. No way, man. That gives me the willies. Like, absolutely. Yeah. I will only go in in bright daylight. Um, but I, I, and I like that little quirk about his character that even though he wants to get to the bottom of this mystery, that he wants to stop it. So no one else is affected by it. And to your point, James, like the reason why he goes in broad daylight with those cans of gasoline is because he's too, he's like, I would rather risk getting caught by a human than getting caught by whatever the hell is causing this thing because going at night would be way too scary for him. That's true. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think about that cuz yeah, there are several moments in this movie where he's scared and he's not yeah. I think that's one of the great things about him is there's no bravado, there's none of that. It's just like no, I am scared. Mm -hmm. I should be scared, you should be scared. Like mm -hmm. it's stupid if you're not. And I think that's part mm -hmm. of his charm. Mm -hmm. Here's what I don't understand about his plan and maybe I'm just missing something by burning down what would be the point of burning down the places where murders have already taken place like aren't they off the table at that point uh well i think oh. you have to move out of the house where the murder's taken place yeah and mm -hmm. then your murder happens and it's it continues the chain so i guess these houses are like the murder has taken place, but no one has lived there and then moved to then commit their murder. Because like if yeah. Courtney and those kids had just stayed in that house, they wouldn't Forever. have, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because the murder, so like the the Ethan Hawke's family moves into a house mm -hmm. where a murder happened. When they leave, they get murdered in their new house. Right. So if yep. someone had burned down the house before Ethan Hawke's yeah. family moved in, then so because all... Ethan Hawke's family's house is moved, burned down. Okay. No so... one can move in, catch Bagul, yeah. who they take to the next house. Like, like the the girl's family yeah. or the girl who murdered her family dies in the house, and if that burned down, that would have ended that chain. But instead, okay. Ethan Hawke's family moved into it. 
So then now they caught Bagul and then they bring Bagul to the next house where they get murdered. Okay. So if someone had burned down her house, Ethan Hawke's family never would have caught it. So he's burning down Ethan Hawke's new house so that no one else catches it. So I'm it's like not, talking about it like it follows style. So it's not one linear line. It's like multiple chains, basically. You have like Bagul at the center of this like hub and all of these spokes are where different murders are. See, that's my question is because I thought it was linear, but then we get mm-hmm. the impression that so-and-so is burning down a bunch of houses. So I really mm-hmm. didn't know now. Okay. Unless it's like the implications that there are multiple chains happening simultaneously. But I would assume if he burned down Ethan Hawke's house, he ended Ethan Hawke's chain. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there will be other chains that he would have to actually go back and end. Because if he ended Ethan Hawke's chain, then why would you have to go back and burn down the church? Like it's presumably That's the same the question chains. that I have. Presumably okay. there's multiple chains. I don't that know. Am I it. wrong? No, I think no, that's, you're right. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I wonder if he got his murder board from Ethan Hawk. I wonder if he's like, I have to burn this down this house, but before I I'm do save it. I'm going to get this bitchin' murder board that I've always murder wanted. Murder board. Murder board. Does anyone know the show Trial and Error? I do yes. not. So do you know it? This. Yes, I watched to I watched the first season. I didn't watch the second one, but yeah, that was I loved that first season. It was so funny. Well, shout out to the trial and error watchers when I chant murder board. There's a bit where they chant murder board. There is? Excellent. Okay. I'm on board. I have to see this show now. So great. You need to watch it. I will have to watch this. Okay. Um, So I think like one of the, like so one of the things that really works is more deputy so-and-so. I think James Ransone is like just a delight. Mm -hmm. The other delight, you know, and I said this at the top, like, Courtney, uh, like Shannon, uh, Shannon Sossaman's Courtney, I think is a character that you immediately feel sympathy for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you meet her in the grocery mm-hmm. store and it just looked like this, you know, lovely young mom and her two boys like doing their grocery shop. And then like, God, the, the PI that's trailing them, like kudos in the casting. Cause that dude gives excellent creepy vibes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like just phenomenal like perfect like you look at your that dude you're like you cannot live within a thousand feet of a school there's no <laughs> yeah. way you're allowed He's scary to right that. away yeah um uh, yeah go on so i was just gonna say like she you know you know that like she's like smart she's resourceful you get the feeling that she's like been doing this for a long time and uh you know when you eventually meet her husband clint um you can understand why she is so afraid of him. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think she's a great character. Her bit in the grocery store is good. It's interesting. I'm curious your thoughts of the addition of a human villain here. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I get it for the sake of trying to be like, that's what these kids are going through. Um, and that's why, you know, that's the quote weakness. One of the kids has, Um, and that's kind of why she's hiding and why they had to create a situation of like why she would be in this house without anyone knowing about it. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you in a house where it says that no one lives there? Um, but I really just don't think the movie needed a human villain. And Mm -hmm. I think just like when we were talking about the Bagul story where I was like, ah, to me, this movie was so much more about the kids. I didn't care what was happening with the adults at all. I really mean that. Like I, I, the dad showing back up and being like so over the top cartoony abusive dad not mm-hmm. that like that's like a cartoony thing but like the first thing he does right away is like 
I will eat when I want and whatever, and just immediately mm-hmm. starts yelling and hitting. Um, I kind of thought like, it just was an unnecessary villain personally. Um, but I'd be curious, um, obviously your takes sure. on that. Yeah, I think, I think the scenario is good. I think it, it immediately breeds sympathy for Courtney and the boys. I think, like you said, it gives them a reason to be there. But I think you could have the scenario without him coming back. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is you do have to have them move. And so, like, he's almost necessitated there, too. Because it's like, well, they need to leave. And if they're going to leave, his place is kind of the logical place for them to go. Because mm-hmm. they're hiding here, so they're not going to leave hiding unless it's they have to go back with him. Uh, but point. yeah, I mean, I, mean, I do... I, I think honestly i mean he's scary like the scene when he shows up like dylan pisses his pants Mm -hmm. on the and it's just like i mean that alone you're like holy shit like that's how scared this kid is that he saw his dad and just that happened so i mean i think there are strong moments but yeah like you said the dinner scene where he's just shoving mashed potatoes in his face and it it, yeah it, it just becomes too much yeah, that's a good point about like how much it scares Dylan mm-hmm. and kind of what that means for a kid that was totally comfortable watching death videos and mm-hmm. seeing Bagul and that like yeah. Yeah. to his dad, he's like, no, that's too scary. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. And I do agree. Like, yeah, that's the only reason why they would be there. And you kind of have to have them leave under duress because so-and-so wouldn't want them to leave the house. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to create a situation of duress of why they would leave. So I do get that, but I don't know, Mike, I'm curious. So I think it does a few things. I think number one, in terms of like moving the momentum of the story forward, it gives a reason for Courtney to not a hundred percent be plugged into what's going on with Dylan. That like he is having nightmares. He's afraid he's scared. And if you're Courtney, you're like, Oh, it's very obvious why, like we've just left a situation where, you saw mom used as a human punching bag and you were used as a human punching bag. So of course you're having nightmares. So she's not overly concerned. Uh, Whereas like in the first sinister, you know, uh, Oswald and his wife, they're kind of like really plugged into there and it's a bit of misdirect like there is here, um, except in this, you're, you get, you get the feeling like something's up with the sun and the parents are immediately plugged into it. Um, here like you can tell why i don't want to say that she downplays it but you can understand why she doesn't immediately think like it's something otherworldly um it like you said gives a reason for the family to have to leave it also at the end of the movie when zach like it, it does too number one i think it's interesting because their home movie it looks like it's a very ideal sunday afternoon picnic with the family but you know that like it is under duress and really awful circumstances. So it kind of recontextualizes this idea of like the happy nuclear family at that point, when you see like, this looks idyllic, but really, you know, it's hurtful and everybody is afraid of dad at that point. The other thing is it gives a reason at the end of the movie to have a death and have it not be someone the audience is going to root for. Like, I don't want to say that you, well, you do. You kind of cheer for Clint to get burned alive at the end. I mean, like, no one is sorry to see that piece of shit go. Um, And it gives, like, a little bit of satisfaction to the audience that there's a bit of a body count. Because I think he's the only 
he's the only like real death in this movie aside from what you see in the videotapes it's not a body count movie um yeah so you give the audience that like kernel of satisfaction um but you're able to rescue courtney and um dylan and deputy so-and-so at the end as opposed to like sinister where like the whole family dies and you walk out of that movie with a horrible pit in your stomach. Like, like I said, like the end of that movie, like really sits with me. The end of this movie, again, like Bagul pops up at the end, like, and I'm just like, all right, dude, like that didn't happen. Like the movie ends with them escaping and then maybe the radio turns on. But again, the worst thing that Bagul is going to do is like steal your covers and short sheet you. You know, like that's what he does. He doesn't really do anything. Short sheet you. You know, like just can't, you know, my feet are cold. Um, that's what Bagul does to people. So that's why I think like you have that whole story there. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't know. If I'm yeah, you know what? Cool. You guys convinced me, genuinely. <laughs> I was like, I don't like no, it. it. I don't need this guy. But no, yeah, you're totally I right. I still don't love it. That's I yeah. still don't love it. I mean, that's the thing is I, I wish there were other ways to do it. And I think there are moments that could be toned down or you know even removed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think overall that frame... Mm-hmm serves a lot of purpose toward the plot oh yeah i think the other thing too is like when you see zach break bad you see where it comes from like mm-hmm. zach is very yeah. much his dad's kid um right because that kid is you know right and I, when a couple things i noted here is a like nice bit of casting getting real life twins to play the role because you do get like this sibling rivalry and them kind of feeding off of one another. So mm-hmm. it does feel kind of really genuine, but also like there are points like where you see Zach make these like little half smiles or smirks yes. and you get this real, like, again, like for a young, young kid, really nice piece of work where you genuinely feel like he thinks he's not as good as his brother and constantly needs to prove himself. So yeah he'd be more than happy to kind of fall under the sway of all these demons, all these like ghost children at that point. So. And like on that, I, so the first movie did kind of do a little bit of a bait and switch thing where you think it's a kid who's having night terrors, but it's actually Mm -hmm. the other kid. Um, And that's really clever. And you probably wouldn't expect them to get away with it again, but like they, the movie totally gets away with it again. Cause you kind of see what's going on that like the brother's jealous and mad Mm-hmm. But like, what a really interesting bit of manipulation that they're manipulating the reluctant one into watching the movies and participating. Um, but what's really happening is the other brother is jealous. Like, why aren't you including me in this? I can be mm-hmm. bad too, which causes him to be like super awful. And it's it's a really cool like, the first one we don't spend any time with the kids everything with Bagul pretty much happens off screen and you have no Mm -hmm. idea how Bagul convinces the kids to do what he does um you kind of just figure they're like under some kind of spell um and in this one like a we get to spend way more time with the kids and see what Bagul and the ghosts are actually doing to the kids and b like you get this really interesting like bit about the manipulation about how the reluctant kid isn't the one being manipulated it's the jealous one and it's like it's the same bait and switch, but it's mm-hmm. so clever and so smart yeah. in a way that it does something that like is really hard for sequels to do. It does the same thing again, but differently. Mm-hmm. And I think it does such a cool job. Yeah. And 
I like that about this movie. I like that instead of like following a, a mystery that doesn't really exist, it's like what we're going to do and it, it we're going to do is we're going to pull back the curtain and we're going to show you exactly how this happens. And I think to your point, Lindsay, it does add to the lore of the movie. This movie does like kind of, you know, it doesn't do like, I love a nightmare on Elm street too. And I know that like the, for those that don't love it, the gripe is, well, you know, it goes against the rules of the series to which I'll say like, there's only one movie before it. So there's really not a lot of rules at that point. You still have a pretty wide open world. And I think because you, you know, you have the same writing team, you have the persons that are responsible for um, creating the first movie, at least writing the story for it. It's their sandbox and their world to play in. So it's not like they're breaking any rules, but they're kind of um, expanding on them by pulling back that curtain a bit. And I really like that. Um, and I like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I hate to say I like, but the, the pride that each of the kids take in their home movies is absolutely chilling when they're like, this one is my favorite or like, you have to watch one. It's mine. And it's so good. And it's like, they're talking about this like Minecraft world they built, but the, what they're really talking about is the time that like they had their parents eaten by alligators, like literally chomped in half. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, the alligator one. I mean, that's the first tape we see. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think too, like I watched this a few times leading up to us talking about it. Cause it had been probably since 2015, since I saw it. And like, the first time you see the alligator and I think, and the second time I watched it, I like looked away and didn't see it. So the jump really got me. Cause mm -hmm. I was, if they didn't show the alligator swim into the water, I think that would be right on par with the lawnmower tape. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it would just be these bodies hanging. You invert them and you're like, wait, what? And then an alligator jumps up. But yeah, I think they're brutal. Like mm -hmm. each and every one of them it is ramped up a notch. Um, yeah. I don't. Oh, I think you're muted, Lindsay. Sorry. Um, they definitely upped the ante on these videos. They're like scarier, bigger, more brutal. I don't know if that, I mean, I just called them scarier, but I don't think that necessarily makes them scarier for me per se. I think the original ones being less brutal was more scary. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know. But they definitely upped the ante. You are not wrong about that. No. You can like on the Blu-ray for it, you can watch the um, movies on their own and they're actually a little bit more haunting that way because you don't have like it intercutting back to like, you know, there are points in the first movie like there are, I think we talked in particular about the one where um, the family is like tied up and you see like the, ch the little girl asleep. Um, and it was reflected in Ethan Hawke's glasses. Like that works really well. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. You don't really get anything like that right here because the kids are there kind of high-fiving one another. But when you watch them on their own and you get um, the bits of soundtrack, and I know our friend um, Blake from Score to Death wanted to get like our thoughts on the soundtrack. Oh, um, okay. Tom and Andy. And I would say like, it's a very non-traditional score and you have these like very discordant sounds that 
immediately set your teeth on edge and just make you feel unsettled. And when you combine that with like the stings that you get, like you get a really effective in one that it's different from Christopher Young's score, but it still fits within this world. It doesn't sound like it's out of place. Um, watching the videos on their own in particular, the one that stood out to me was the Christmas morning one. Um, yeah. So yeah, finish your thought. And then I have a thought about that. Okay. What gets me about that one is when the mom, they all look like wax dolls because of the hypothermia and the cold. And when the mom turns her eyes to look oh. and all she can do is move her eyes. That is so unsettling to me it really yeah. like it makes my stomach like turn into a bit of a knot yeah so of all of the um movies that one is the only one that was shot in uh, eight millimeter or super eight so mm -hmm. these ones were shot in 16 millimeter as where the originals were shot in super eight and christmas morning was actually initially shot for part one and so it was shot the old mm -hmm. way where, so where the other ones were all new. So that's actually old from the first movie. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason why I say that's like so interesting is because I was like, oh, I think the first movie ones are way scarier. Yeah. And it's funny that that's the one that you picked as the scariest one. It really, and it's really the eyes. It's really, um, <laughs> I have a thing. And when we talk about the Saw movies, like you'll hear a lot more about this from me. Um, Ooh, we talk about martyrs in a few weeks, like you'll oh, really God. hear about it. Um, oh, one of my biggest like boogaboos in horror, like one of the things that like really unnerves me is when someone can't fight back. Like I under, you know, like if, if there's, you know, you're, you're fighting a monster and it gets the best of you, like, Oh, them's the breaks. Like sometimes mm. you lose. Um, but when someone is unable to like i will never watch audition again because oh my god end of that movie just it just it, i can't do it i can't even um, talk about that movie without getting upset yeah okay so no i like i'm fine but i'm saying like ooh, that movie scares me a lot yeah going us in june for our retrospective on j-horror um <laughs> so, uh, i will not be watching audition for it so, um, um yeah that's what gets me is like when someone's unable to kind of like put up any sort of fight and to me like this idea that you're gonna die out there in the freezing cold like oh what a terrible way to go and it's your family it's your daughter or son that does it it's like really really horrible yeah that one yeah. sucks yeah mm -hmm. okay so why I'm, I'm trying to take a look right now to see if there's anything here that we are missing and i know it's like not as long of an episode as normal but um do you think we covered everything we wanted to am oh my i missing gosh, that seems fast i feel like hold on i think the one thing too you had mentioned the score um i think mm -hmm. the addition of the like creepy phonograph that's like part of the camera projector i think was mm. just kind of a cool way to incorporate score mm -hmm. into the films themselves and i think my favorite score moment of the movie is when after so and so hits Zach with a car, which is an incredible moment that he just mm -hmm. barrels into the cornfield and hits him with the car. You know, he picks up the camera and it kicks into that really like rapid bass that's yeah. from the first movie. That's so it's, it's a say, cool yeah. callback. Yeah. You know, Zach. Yeah. 
The song is called Gyroscope. So I think that that to me is a great moment. Yeah, and I'm okay. looking up. The song is called Gyroscope, and I'm trying to find, because I talked about this particular, I'll have to edit this a little bit, so bear with me. Um, oh, God, where's Boards of Canada? Why can't I remember that? Yes, yeah. oh, my God, yeah, okay. I didn't know what you were looking for, and so, yeah. Okay, go so on. yeah, Say that <laughs> particular track from Boards of Canada, it, you're right, it does play in the first. I think that is probably, and I know it's not created for the Sinister movies. I think it is the best use of any musical track in a horror movie of the past 10 years. Like it just fits it so perfect. Yeah. And even yeah. listening to that piece of music on its own, because um, you have like those whispering voices like counting down, it's just like it's super unnerving even on its own. Like I absolutely fucking love that piece of music. So you're right. And I like how they keep that, keep that in there. Um, yeah. Okay. So here is um, the question I had, like, and it's kind of rhetorical because I have some answers. Um, why is there never a part three? Like, it looks like this movie is being set up for a part three, a part four, um, whatever like but it's five years six years later and we still don't have one i kind of feel like this story ended i don't know i don't think it was it's weird i think sinister was so good and sinister 2 didn't fly as high as we're like mm -hmm. the second purge movie the second conjuring movie um the second sinister movie we're so much stronger. I don't even necessarily mean stronger than this movie one to one, but as Would far you mean as the like second sinister movie or the second you said sinister. Insid you oh, sorry, I meant insidious. insidious. Okay. You are right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I meant insidious. Um, not necessarily like one to one stronger. I'm not necessarily saying that insidious two or the conjuring two are better than mm -hmm. sinister two, although I probably would argue that kind of my head. But mm -hmm. um I think that like when you're looking at those, those movies really shot so much higher and like The Conjuring and Insidious are really similar in a way that like Sinister just didn't like, I don't know. It's weird because you'd think those movies would be too similar. But I don't know. I just don't feel like Sinister like had this like lasting thing. I don't know if it had mm -hmm. something to do with like the Warrens or something to do with the demon being better than the ghoul mm -hmm. per se, um, you know, in Conjuring, The Conjuring, you've got the Warrens that are amazing in, um, insidious you have elise who kind of ties them all together mm -hmm. and yeah. maybe you just didn't have that oh but you have deputies ex-deputy so-and-so uh, yeah like i guess like do you want a third so-and-so movie like i do okay. i <laughs> i don't know i'm like i'm just speculating like i'm just kind of yeah. I, I don't know i'm and just riffing <laughs> i i think i i tweeted this the other night when i was re-watching it like and it doesn't even have to be like a sinister movie but if you give me if you make like deputy x so and so and you never name him which would be amazing like he just gives out his card but you never see his card and they just never address him by his name um or he legally changes it to that i don't know um if you give me a series of movies with jane ransom being like the new cole jack the night stalker in this <laughs> role like i'm for it like i would totally be on board it doesn't have to necessarily be him chasing bagul but it can be him chasing um different like demons and ghosties and monsters in broad daylight he could like write that. a book oh my god it would be so good. it would be i would watch that my <laughs> thing is like you know like the diminishing returns in terms of like artistic merit has never stopped blumhouse before do you know what True. i mean like you look at the paranormal activity movies and they're like 
the new, you know, the new thing is like, we're gonna have a, a pool camera, yay, pool camera. Um, or like, we're gonna put a camera on a fan and that's our new innovation. Um, although I like the first three paranormal activities to make a really strong trilogy on the road. They also cost nothing to make, which is exactly. a huge, yeah. That's a huge key. So, you know, when you look at, like I would say like A24 and Bloom House are probably the two premier studios at this point when it comes to horror. Mm-hmm. Even though they have, I would say, like markedly different approaches. Like Bloomhouse is, I think, more popular cinema. Like they're trying to get as many eyeballs in front as possible. A24 tends to be what we would call the more, you know, it's, it's art house horror, but it still has a lot of commercial appeal. Like they do have an eye like to what's going to draw people in. Um, to dare I, I say elevated horror, I won't yeah. think. I saw um, a tweet. This is like, oh gosh, I'll try to link it because I feel like I'm taking someone's joke. But mm-hmm. um, and this might only land for a very niche group, but it was like A24 mm-hmm. is the Glossier of film, and <laughs> Glossier is like an indie makeup brand, but it's mm-hmm. like also like super mainstream, mm-hmm. and it's like. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's like, we're weird and different, yeah. but it's also like very, very, very mainstream. And it's, it's not like, a dig. I really like Glossier and I really like A24. It's just very funny that it's like, we're Indian weird, but like we're super mainstream and everyone likes us. Would it be like Barbie goes punk in the 90s yeah. when, <laughs> yeah, when, yeah. when like every band was punk rock? Like, okay. Yeah. Like grunge yeah, Barbie, exactly. you know? Um, yeah, grunge Barbie. Okay. You're like, okay. But like, yeah. I would have for Incredible. sure bought it. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think if, if you're a 24 and I think like, let's say St. Mode made $54 million, like you'd be thrilled yeah. and might look at, although they don't really sequelize things, you right. might have to at least look at it where like, there's no question. Like he's like, nope, this movie underperformed. And right now there are just no plans for a no sinister three. And I think we saw that happen more so with like happy death day. Mm, yeah. This was a surprise hit. The second movie does well, but definitely not as well as the first one. And like, even though it was planned as a sort of trilogy, um, there are no plans for it at this time. So, um, you know, and on one hand, I applaud that kind of response. You know, I would say like that kind of responsibility saying, hey, like if we do too much, then, you know, we're, we can run into trouble very quickly. Um, yeah. And it's true, like, like you were saying, like the commerce versus the art piece. I mean, obviously every studio that exists is probably guilty of this in some way, but yeah, like, you know, underperforming with 20 million and a $54 million. Mm-hmm. Is it 20 million that Sinister 10 2 costs? Million. 10 million 10. and earning 54. Like that's truly wild. Mm-hmm. But I guess it really just goes to show you that like, that's the Blumhouse model. Like they're used yeah. to spending nothing on paranormal activity and getting a huge, massive hit out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can imagine being really frustrating, frustrating if you're like Christopher Landon, probably like my movie was a success. Yeah. Let me make the third one, but I guess yeah. he got to make freaky. I don't know. Yes. Um, and maybe like the success of freaky gives him a little more clout at that point leverage. to go back and to go back and do it. Uh, yeah. I do wish, like, especially, like, in 2018, their Halloween, I mean, smashes records in terms of what it brings in. Yeah. And you almost wish that there was, like, a way to take, like, okay, we're going to take our projects like Halloween and we're going to take X amount of the money from that and put mm-hmm. it in a fund that would, say, go to, like, Indigenous filmmakers, women filmmakers. Like, that's how we're going to build 
because then it becomes less about if I hire this like first time filmmaker that no one else is going to give a chance and it quote unquote underperforms compared to model, Mm -hmm. um, then it doesn't matter. Like, cause look where it came from at that point. And there's that ability, I think to do so in his model that may be like a Sony or a Paramount, um, yeah. you know, that they're not going to do. Um, cause like, I'll, you know, throw black Christmas out there, like that movie, um, probably underperformed compared to what they wanted it to. But at the same time, they were given six months from green lighting it to putting it on screen. So yeah, it wasn't really a fair, you know, you don't quite get a fair shake. And what's unfortunate, I think, is what happens when this happens is like, it doesn't just affect that individual filmmaker, but in fact, it affects anyone yeah like the door closes very quickly to those groups like oh looks like no one will go which is not necessarily a fair thing yeah blumhouse doesn't have a great track record with women and minority filmmakers um that is true and then Mm -hmm. exactly i guess when you're holding it to like a standard of Mm -hmm. percentage performance of something like paranormal activity obviously that's a really uh, tall order yeah Yeah. it's a very tall order you expect someone to do that again Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, they don't have a great track record with that. That no. is true. Um, actually, Where, yeah. They've improved are things like Hulu, Into the Dark, and their partnership with Amazon. But I think yeah. at the end of the day, what we want to see is like theatrical. Give me theatrical features. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I wrote about this. And again, I say this as someone who like loves Blumhouse and loves no. Blumhouse's products, <laughs> whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Um, but like, yeah, I don't, you know, to, they dump a lot of their it appears as though they dump a lot of their female made and minority made mm-hmm. features um, to these streaming services. And I don't yeah. really think it's the same thing um, in a lot of ways. And, you know, David Gordon Green, for instance, and this is not a slight at David Gordon Green, um, I know what, what track record did he have? Mm-hmm. You know what I, I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, his majesty. Or he had the majesty. comedy and like, that's, I mean, that's a bad example. Maybe I just mean that like a lot of shots are taken. Right. Um, that wouldn't necessarily be taken on, um, you know, women and minorities. I mean, oh, of yeah, course, I obviously agree. Jordan Peele is the exception to that. Maybe mm-hmm. he's not the exception. Maybe I'm just like wrong. Maybe, or maybe it's more femme focused in any event. Mm-hmm. Um, all that to say, yeah, it's a tall order. Um, yeah. But that said, uh, speaking of Sinister 3, as it were, mm-hmm. well, we're not getting Sinister 3. They did announce a new project with Cargill they did. and Derrickson and Ethan Hawke, which is kind of exciting. So mm-hmm. As much as I'm like, oh God, but I'm like, I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a man <laughs> on the hunt for the perfect sweater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, boo, God, give me yeah. Sinister 3. Don't give me any more boring right. And then I'm like, oh, interesting. So Where we, can I sign up? Yeah, and I, I saw that this week and that was pretty exciting. Um, yeah. And again, maybe bring back James Ransone. Oh my uh, God. You know, yes. just let's do it. Do just it. Just do the like de facto sequel. Do it, cowards. <laughs> yeah. um, but any, if there was a Sinister Three, I wonder, like at this point, what direction it could go in. Well, I, I think too. I was thinking about the, the what would you do? And interestingly, when you talk about these other kind of tent poles, like Insidious Three was a prequel. Um, Paranormal Activity Three was a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think that almost that's where you would have to go with Sinister. I, they, they set you up with this whole um, radio thing. Um, but even that is like talking about the potential origin of where these 
tapes are coming from. I mean, we see the movies and they delve a little bit into they're creating art. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it could be radio, it could be whatever, but I think you would almost have to go that direction and be Mm -hmm. like, let's go back to 1976 or whenever that Mm -hmm. one is and, and see the origin. And I don't, Mm -hmm. and we talked, we've talked a lot about how Bagul is not the strength of this franchise. So going back to Bagul's origin or his modern origin, maybe I, I think is maybe just not, yeah a place where you're yeah. going to be successful hey listeners mike here i just want to cut into the show with what i promise will be a brief pitch for our patreon account and i got musical cues and everything to not run past if you love what we do and what we bring each week in terms of analysis humor criticism insight charm good looks really the complete package we hope you consider supporting us by becoming a Patreon of our pod. Your contributions allow us to build what we've done for nearly 100 episodes now by paying for our server's hosts, by purchasing better recording and editing equipment, and by giving us the funds we need to buy the movies, the books, the documentaries, and other research materials we use to bring each episode to life. Our weekly show is always going to be free. And we know that times are tight for everyone right now. We also know there's a number of phenomenal podcasts deserving of your support. That's why, as well as our gratitude, we offer bonus content to all levels of patrons, starting at just two bucks. Every month, we deliver a complete bonus episode on a movie we might not otherwise cover. And all of our patrons get access to our exclusive Slack channel where we talk horror, music, any other types of movies. Really, it's a cool little community with our patrons right now that are all just awesome people. With 2021 right around the corner, I got some more ideas up my sleeve on how to give everybody some more content and some more swag. So please, help keep the show strong by heading to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum and become a supporter today and now back to the show you don't want to do yeah you don't want to do a ginger snaps three thing where it's like we're gonna go way back to like the 1600s with the same characters (laughs) um which is apparently what they wanted to do with karate kid three back in the day like they wanted pat moriata in um and Daniel LaRusso to do like a prequel set in like colonial, like imperial Japan. And it was oh going God. to be, and they would be playing like in the movie, but as different characters. And it would yeah. have been a weird prequel. And, and um, fortunately the studio executives were like, there is not enough cocaine in Hollywood for us to make <laughs> that. Like, no. We're not no, doing that's that. A no. so um yeah that's a good like that's as we were having this discussion i was like huh but insidious 2 paranormal activity or sorry insidious 3 paranormal activity 3 the conjuring expanded universe first purge yeah none of them were like straight up sequels Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah, that's a good point kind of like where do you go Mm -hmm. with sinister especially as like we've all just straight up said like we don't really care about bagul like Right. Even with, so now we're getting The Conjuring 3, but we've had, you know, spinoffs and prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, I love The Conjuring verse. Prequel, second prequel to a spinoff. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was like, 
the origins of Annabelle and then the mm -hmm. more even more early origins of Annabelle and then now we're getting a third one at like a way later mm -hmm. time unless you want to count um Annabelle comes home as a it's sequel kind of but I, kind of, I, yeah. I was like it's more of like a sequel to the spin-off but I guess mm -hmm. it's kind of a prequel but anyway I cannot <laughs> keep the conjuring verse <laughs> oh, straight oh, oh my god the I love the conjuring verse and I actually mm -hmm. just quick anecdote Laura uh we'll call her Laura DiGiorno Laura DG G. Mm -hmm. Gorlamo, whose name I should be able to pronounce uh easier by now um she actually took me to her press screening of Animal Comes Home mm -hmm. And she was like, hey, so like, I'm reviewing this movie. Like, are you, do you know this universe? I was like, yeah, yeah, like I got you covered. And she's like, so where does this fit in continuity? And I guarantee you she regrets asking me that question. Did, I you, was have like, the, did oh. you have the murder board? Let me bring this out. Thank I was you. like, oh, let me explain. Um, <laughs> I was like, let me just quickly uh, draw this quick map for you. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're anyway. So just saying like JD, you are very much correct mm. that yeah they all go other places and if, with Bagul being kind of like bleh like what do you do you would have to go somewhere else with Bagul I still think it would be cool to follow so and so and kind of see where he mm. ends up but yeah very much that point is like the yeah. third installment in the story isn't usually where Blumhouse movies go and I think you could easily do ex-deputy so and so in movies that aren't related to Sinister like you follow that character and have them do different mm -hmm. things because if you keep going yeah. forward with Sinister, eventually like Bagul ends up on TikTok. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's which I don't think <laughs> yeah. anybody, nobody wants to see that, you know? Get so-and-so like, a series on Disney Plus, a procedural. Bagul is the new Bernie mem. Like it's just Bagul in a chair placed <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> oh, you know? oh God. Yep. That's where we're going. Okay. And I'll be in trouble. So before we get to our questions from our lovely audience, I want to give a quick shout out to our new patron. Uh, Erica K, thank you for signing up at the Jason level. We really appreciate that. Uh, we hope you enjoy the uh, our latest um, Patreon content. We just posted Batman 89, and the feedback on that has been awesome. Like, I've been chatting with some of the patrons, and they're like, absolutely, like, want more Batman in the patron feed. So, um, can do. Yeah, I know like Jay, who's been on our show before and is one of our patrons was like um, talking about, he's like, now I want to go back and read all these things I haven't read. And, you know, the last thing was Flush that I read. And so um, thank you to our patrons. But Erica, thank you very much for becoming a patron of our show. Uh, and we are super excited to keep hopefully cranking out even more content this year for y'all to enjoy. Um, but we do have a few questions from our audience. So are we ready? Yeah, absolutely. All right. From our Facebook page, which if you go to uh, facebook.com pod on the pendulum, we got a little group going on over there. We have our first question from Christian T. Jackie. What happened to the sinister insidious crossover? Was that like legit or was that just like fan talking? It came out of like Jason Blum was asked and it came out of his mouth that like this will happen um i looked it up and it is late as 2020 there was still some talk about it in 2018 i think he was asked and he said like yeah it's something that might happen you know it depends on what goes on with some of our other properties but um i think it's one of those things that like sounds really good on paper but how would you bring them together you know I don't know. Yeah, I would think that 
Bagul would have to be like an entity from the further, mm-hmm. um, which could maybe work. But even then, even what we've seen in Insidious is those entities don't have a whole lot of power in the this world. Um, mm-hmm. And so for Bagul to have taken over dozens and dozens of families, it seems, I think would be a mm-hmm. little bit of a stretch for that world, but I don't know how else yeah. you would connect them. Yeah. This is this is what Blum said in an interview with Cinepop. Um, we almost did Insidious and Sinister, and I still feel like we might do that. So I think so. I think we're going to cross our world at some point. I don't know how yet, but we're going to try. And that to me sounds like a very polite and nice way of saying like, don't call us, we'll call you type of deal. You know what I mean? Like don't yeah. hold your, yeah. don't hold your breath on that one. No, we'll um, try. You know? Yeah. I think, I think that's, sorry, go ahead. I think if you're like, he, he's like, well, wait a minute, because it's two franchises. What if now just hear me out? I'm Jason Blum. And I'm like, what if audience, if I can charge you, for the price of two movie tickets because technically <laughs> you're seeing two franchises so that way i only have to sell half as many tickets and then the return on investment is huge i think you would do it <laughs> rejected um i feel like i'm dunking on jason blum and I feel yeah like- and i'm like the foremost blum hater and i'm like no disagree yes okay um yeah, I I really think that I keep saying JD. It is JD. Yeah, you don't yeah. or do. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if you preferred James or JD. Um, no, JD. Okay. Um, to what JD said, like that's such a good point that like you would have to have them as an entity from the further, but we haven't we haven't really seen them have that much control over the the real world. So that is a really good point. Mm. Um, I do think that you could probably make that work, but yeah, you're gonna have to do some like stretching to kind of be like, okay, mm-hmm. why, you know, I mean, they both do kind of involve manipulating kids by stealing their bodies in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you could probably go there. I just think like, what's cool about the, ins- I don't know, what's cool about the Insidious movies is that like, it's not just one demon. It's a, it's a, it's a lore. So I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I yeah, I think that that's, a, that's the only way that you could do yeah. it. Would it be worth doing? Like, I don't know. Cause what really works in the insidious movies is that they're these like family stories wherein a specific demon uh, shows up one movie at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, like in insidious three and insidious, the last key, it's someone completely different. You are getting mm-hmm. the overlap in the first two where you're kind of building on the lore. I don't really know. I just don't really think like a crossover is worth it unless yeah. literally the only reason is if you want to have, um, oh my God, I said her name earlier and I already forget it. Lin Shay? Yeah. If you want to have her character tackle Bagul, like other than that, I really don't see the benefit of the crossover. I don't think Lin Shay should be tackling anyone at her age though. Like she might hurt. <laughs> strongest character in the game. Okay. I, I think the issue with that too is- Elise, con- continuity wise um i think that in the world her, her character would be dead yeah, she's if dead. you were to cross them over so i mean they deal with that in two where she has the power in the further but again if you're really going to cross them i think she's the strength and her psychic ability and her fighting the demon things is the way to go but yeah she's not even a viable character yeah, are like Lee, what 
are Lee Waddles like is is like his character and his like uh, the two assistants like are they still around in the in six? I've only watched the first Insidious. The, they are okay. So I mean, yeah. you could team them up with Deputy So and So, but like you could. They are the bumbling side characters. Mm-hmm. Like it could True. work, and if. Like, the, would, yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. The three, the, bumbling... stu- the three stooges of ghost <laughs> yeah. hunting. Yeah, they're like bumbling side characters. I could see them teaming up. Um, but, um, oh my God, what are their names now? It's, um, it's Specs and... Mm-hmm. I've been trying to think of Angus Samson's character name all yeah, day. And I just name? can't. Something just... in Specs. Oh my God. Uh, oh, I'm mad at myself. Whatever. Um yeah, I could see them teaming up. I'm trying to think of like what's interesting enough about either of those franchises to cross over. Like what, like I, as someone who loves the Insidious franchise and will watch whatever you give me from it, I'm trying to think what's interesting enough about the Insidious franchise mm-hmm. to bring into the Sinister World yeah. and the other way around. I don't, I don't really know, but like yeah. I guess like the easy answer is yeah, he's a demon from yeah. the further, and the three of them team up. But like, okay. And I think, you know, I'll touch on these next two questions really quickly. I think we covered them in the bulk of the show, but I'd like to give a shout out to the listeners. Uh, from La- Lara Funnerstall, my co-host, the lovely Psychoanalysis Podcast. Is it true that James Ransone can make even a mediocre movie delightful? The answer is yes. yes. She's this is not a this is not a mediocre movie, but yes, I do believe yeah. he could make a mediocre movie delightful. Absolutely. It's- yeah, he absolutely can, mm-hmm. uh, but he's never been tested because all of his movies mm-hmm. rock, yeah. including uh, In the Valley of Violence with his friend Ethan Hawke. Um, Excellent. Check it out. Also, it's Specs and Tucker. Okay. Tucker. There you Tucker. go. So Tucker and Specs versus Sinister. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, and they would um, win. They're cool. So uh, lastly, Gene uh, H. Keen, what are your thoughts on the direction this movie took of grooming the candidate over time? I dug it. I really liked yeah. watching how that curtain is pulled back and seeing how it was done. I really liked that. Yeah, I thought it was really, really great. I mean, yeah. we dug into it a bit and we were talking about how it, mm-hmm. how it changed the perspective. I think it was so cool. Mm-hmm. It was, it was scary to watch and it gave us something like I said before, it gave us something more than the first movie. Um, while it was still kind of telling a similar story, which I think yeah. is really effective. Absolutely. Yeah, I think too, in, in the first movie, it's kind of like, why did this sweet kind of creepy artistic girl chop her family up with an axe? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you understand that Bagul is involved, but like, it's kind of, it's a big leap. Yes. Um, but but to know, okay, this is what was going on. The mm-hmm. ghosts were manipulating her. Uh, Bagul was manipulating. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of helped you like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I get it. Like, I kind of want to see, maybe that's the story you tell. Yeah. You retell... Um, the first movie but from the perspective of the daughter i don't know but yeah and i think it helps contextualize her line at the end of the movie and she's like don't worry daddy i'll make you famous again you can see them like preying on her like your dad doesn't care about you he just wants to sell books you could see like that being like what's important to her at that point so yeah all right so that was our talk on sinister 2 in the sinister series we hope you guys really enjoyed it yes to that edit right there um so JD, tell us about your upcoming podcast. Tell us a little bit about the um, idea behind it and when we're going to be able to hear it. Okay, so yeah, it, um, the idea behind it was really just, um, you know, I was born in 1988, so I grew up as a kid, you know, really getting into horror mm-hmm. and 
you know, that two thousands um, when there was that huge, huge boom of remakes and reboots and all that sort of stuff. So those movies have always held kind of a special place in my horror fandom. Um, and I think just through having conversations and being active on horror Twitter and everything, you know, there is a lot of kind of love for a lot of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, a lot of them are really good, you know, like we're talking about today, this is, you know, a sequel that doesn't get enough love. Um, and I, so I think for me, it was just like, Hey, rather than have these brief conversations online, you know, let me get together with people and, and we can talk and really, let these movies shine and talk about, you know, why we love them and, mm-hmm. and why they are good. Cause I think a lot of them are genuinely good movies that mm-hmm. just got swept under the rug because they got caught in like a boom where, yeah, is, is every remake from the mid two thousands good? No, but mm-hmm. is Texas Chainsaw great is, you know, house of wax great. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, finding those movies that aren't as talked about. And that's the thing too, you know, something like, insidious 2 or scream Mm -hmm. 2 or the thing which is technically like a sequel or a remake or reboot you know people talk about those but i really wanted to find the ones that are less loved Mm -hmm. um and really give those a chance to shine so yeah i think it was something i kind of tossed around and then you know i went to twitter and said hey you know i've got this idea would anyone want to talk and mm-hmm. got kind of blown up where a bunch Excellent. of people were like, yes, like, yeah. I want to, I want to come on. Um, so so if, what would you give us a little teaser? Like what would you say is one movie from the period you're discussing that maybe falls a little bit too far under the radar? Um, well, we've been talking a lot about insidious, but the one that kind of I really is insidious chapter three. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love it might be my favorite in the insidious franchise it mm-hmm. they're all very good and patrick wilson's acting in insidious chapter two is some of my favorite acting in any mm-hmm. horror movie that's ever been made yeah i think i yell about that to anyone who will listen <laughs> so i'm just like excited and have to i find that. it's i find patrick wilson has all the charisma as a, a wet loaf of bread Oh, oh my god gosh. i you quit i quit it, this podcast no Sorry. insidious two he's <laughs> unbelievable but mm-hmm. i think so good insidious 3 it just it does the prequel so well you know it, it works in a world that you already know um but it it's reestablishing things you're getting mm-hmm. to the root of things and i think it's really scary you know there oh, are yeah. moments the way that they do the further um there are some scenes, you know, with the girl in her bedroom um, and it incorporates technology really well. Uh, I, I just think it does a lot of really, really good things. So for kind of that one's obviously a little bit later than that 2000s. I mean, from mm-hmm. the 2000s for me, it's House of Wax. I think okay. everybody hated that movie because Paris Hilton was in it. And that was it. Like that was everyone was like, "Oh, Paris Hilton is in this movie. It's trash." And it's. Not. I am nodding in huge agreement. I it's, totally agree. It got a bad yeah. like, "Oh, Paris Hilton's in it. What a dumb thing." She's actually fine in it, and I love House of Wax. Oh my god, I agree. I can't wait for your podcast. So I don't <laughs> think there's a Insidious box set, but I'm looking up because I I have only watched Insidious one, and I adore that movie. Um, so I, th- I think I need to order the other three. Well, we're going to have to anyway, because you know, we're going to get to like, Lindsay's not going to let, we have to cover have Insidious. To even, honestly, even the last key is really good. Like yeah, that's, that's a franchise where 
Yeah. They haven't done a bad one yet. Yeah. So give us the name and when they can hear it. Okay, so it's called Not the Original, a reboot, sequel, and remake podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be coming spring. So okay. I'm shooting to roll it out in April. Uh, honestly, I have two kids and a third on the way. I work a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm new to the podcasting thing. So I want to give, give myself some time to get some recording done, get familiar with editing so that it's high quality and it's going to be released regularly mm-hmm. so that I don't come out the gate and be like, here's two episodes. And then three weeks later, here's another. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I really want to be able to start with a solid foundation. So Good for you. that's exciting. And Thank where you. can our listeners find you on the socials if they want to kind of catch up and find out when it's coming out? Sure. So, um, I mean, I'm very, very active on Twitter, um, which is just, my name just at JD Gravit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I have an Instagram that I use more for like following and commenting than I do for necessarily mm-hmm. posting stuff for myself. Um, that's JDG122288, which mm-hmm. is my birthday. Um, but so, I mean, you can definitely find me there. Um, I'm happy to talk on Twitter about anything horror, um, anything, anything really. I mean, mm-hmm. and I do a lot of podcast boosting there. I mean, that's one of my favorite things to do is talk about shows and talk with the people from shows and uh, and everything like that so excellent excellent well thank you so much for joining us and i'm definitely looking forward to hearing that show when it comes out and i think you've got two guests right here so you know throw a style on the list and we'll get to it all right absolutely thanks for having me this was a blast absolutely thank you for coming on Lindsay. what do you have right now that you want to promote or boost out there into the world what do I have to promote right now? Doing lots of writing this month, lots of film mm-hmm. reviews this month. Um, so keep keep your eyes open for those. Shutter is doing a lot of cool new things that I'm focusing on a lot. Um, I'm gonna be writing about a nightmare wakes. I'm gonna be writing about Shook. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna be writing about Seder um and a couple others yeah those are the most exciting ones um i might be checking out the berlin uh final girl film final girls berlin film festival um so you should check that out if you guys have the opportunity um i might not be able to see a ton of it and i'm gonna be really jealous about the people that can Mm -hmm. so there's gonna be some really good um uh so not all of the movies are geolocked to europe but some of them are Mm -hmm. And uh, the talks and podcasts and things like that are not. Um, and so there'll be some pretty cool ones there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, just stay, keep your eyes open for film reviews this month. That's Excellent. what you're going to see a lot of from me. And by the way, when you see a review from Lindsay Travis, you're not just getting a review from anyone. You're getting the latest Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. So, I'm very thrilled. I am super excited for you. So Thank it is you. well earned and deserved. Um, so follow her at Smash Travs. Um, and follow me at Mike underscore Snoonian and Pod and Pendulum. Uh, I'm guesting on a bunch of shows. So on February 11th, I will be on part of Disenfranchised. We are talking the original My Bloody Valentine, which was a really fun episode. Uh, I think this Friday I'm recording... Um, I am recording about the American Pie movies with some folks. And I am really excited, A, because I fucking love the four core American Pie movies. And B, I can finally talk about, like, I have levels. I can talk about something that's not horror. Um, And then you can also find me every week on the Psychoanalysis 
podcast. And I think by the time this comes out, we'll have an episode out on um, Bram Stoker's Dracula as part of our comfort series. And I am ashamed to say I am completely forgetting what we just recorded on Sunday night because I am very tired all the time right now and my brain hurts. But it was brilliant. I know. Oh, we just recorded on Get Out. What the fuck? We just did like a three hour episode almost on Get Out. And we had a lovely guest on that show. And it was a really great discussion. So find me over at Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast. All right, listeners, we are going to record a little bit of bonus stuff for our patrons right now. So go ahead and join us there. Um, Follow us at Pod and Pendulum at Twitter, Facebook at Facebook.com, Pod and the Pendulum. Um, We appreciate all your support, uh, all your listens, all your downloads, all your comments, all your, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, rate review and subscribe to us those ratings and reviews go a super long way towards new people finding us i was just looking and comparing our charts from like a year ago and we've effectively more than doubled our downloads per episode Um, so we're doing something right and a lot of that is word of mouth from you our friends uh because it's a very crowded podcast world out there We're really happy we've carved our little niche and we're really happy you're all part of it. Uh, We'll see you in two weeks as we launch our two-month excursion into French extremity and we are going to be kicking things off. A little bit of a drum roll right now. Uh, We're going to be kicking things off with martyrs. We're basically go big or go home. So... Yeah, that'll be a fun episode. All right. Take care, all.